by definition, 87% of people are in roles, in jobs that they're not overly satisfied with or excited about. Yeah, so saying that is crazy. it is insane. It is absolutely absurd, especially since that's where we spend most of our waking hours. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. We've all reached that moment in some part of our lives where we fought, fought, thought, fought, thought. We've all reached a moment in some part of our lives where we thought, this can't be it. There has to be a better way. Now, if you've reached that point like that in your career, well, today you'll get a firsthand look at why you are not alone. More importantly, you'll discover what to do when you start yearning for a more meaningful career, or at the very least, being able to do work that fits you and not the other way around you get like one run at this thing. Like I didn't realize the numbers were that dramatic, like 80 some percent are unhappy in their current roles. That is just like super sad, actually. That's Matt East. He's the host of two podcasts, the Goal Achievement Podcast and the Better Humans Podcast. Matt is also the author of The Purposeful Planning Method, How to Plan Your Day, Beat Procrastination and Regain Control of Your Time. In today's episode, we're sharing a conversation between Scott and Matt that actually aired on the Goal Achievement podcast. Now, as they start off the conversation here, Matt asked Scott to share all the details leading to his own career change and starting happening to your career, ultimately leading to helping others do the same. The idea came from a lot of pain, to be quite honest. I was I, I was the type of guy that if you go way back and you go to college, I was one of those people that had made, I don't know, eight, nine different major changes and then eventually sunk my teeth into business. And then as I moved out into the real world, I ended up accepting what many people would call a good job. What my friends and family said, oh, you've got to take this. It's an amazing opportunity. I was, you know, pretty young at that time and had like 20, 20 people or so underneath me as I went and moved my brand new bride at the time, Alyssa, down to Portland, Oregon, and did accept that role and then found very quickly that I hated it. It was pretty horrific. I started having what I later learned were anxiety attacks as I was driving in on my uh, hour and a half commute to work and, you know, three hours a day commute total typically. And, you know, I found myself stopped in traffic, like looking around and and looking at all the other faces in the cars and be like, this can't this can't be what it's really like to go to work. This is is terrible. Yeah. You, you, yes. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, way too many of us have really similar stories. And, you know, I ended up having the whole works. I gained like 50 pounds over that time and, you know, was working uh, 80 to 90 hour weeks were pretty normal at uh, that point in time. So a year of this went by and I finally said, OK, look, I cannot do this anymore. So I figured I, I've got to do something, you know, long before the podcast, I was there in this experience trying to figure all this out. And 
then I decided, okay, well, I've got to talk to my boss. Like I, I just can't, I didn't know what else to do. I can't keep doing this. So I called up my boss who was in a different city and told him, Hey, I think I maybe made the wrong choice. I'm not sure that this job is a great fit. And apparently he thought so too, because three weeks later he fired me. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah, I, it was unexpected for me too. <laughs> and as I was driving home in the Portland rain, <laughs> in the rain and the misery and the gray skies and everything that went along with it, I had to call my wife earlier and tell her, hey, I know I moved you down to Portland, but I don't even have a job to show for it. I realized that I, I couldn't ever do this again. So I decided right then and there that I had to figure out a way to find work that was going to actually fit what I wanted and not be miserable and instead maybe be wonderful and, and exciting and good fit for me that leveraged, you know, what I'm good at and my strengths. And I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I just knew that I, at the time, I couldn't keep doing this. So the next 10 years were figuring that out. And that's ultimately what led to our business, Happened to Your Career, which is the same name of our podcast, the Happened to Your Career podcast. And it very much came about I was having the same conversation after I went and figured this out for myself and made all these different career changes and transitions and people were asking me questions like coworkers and friends and family and they were saying things like, hey, how did you go from operations into HR management? Like that's a huge pivot or you got a $40,000 raise? Like how do you, like I barely got 5% on my, like how do you get a $40,000 raise off cycle? And I was getting all these types of questions again and again. And I know before you and I hit the record button here, I said, I've got a cup of coffee in my hand, but I'm a sucker for coffee. So people were buying me coffee and taking me to coffee and asking me all these questions. And I thought, this was amazing because I was helping them and they were making big transitions and they were sending me thank you notes and starting to offer to pay. So at that point in time, I realized that I wanted to transition away from one of my jobs, which I really enjoyed and was a dream job for me, but I was having the itch to do my own thing. And the podcast and the business became a part of what I was already doing and already finding myself in those conversations again and again. So that's, that's how it happened. Uh, how long has the podcast been around now? Six years. Oh, wow, man. That's, yeah, that's a big run. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it be named like one of the top podcasts for career like multiple times. I knew it was more than a year. I didn't realize six years. That's legit, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. The first couple of years, we did not have as many listeners by a long shot. <laughs> I love the I love the name. It's like very proactive versus reactive. And we talk all the time on the podcast from like uh, owning your schedule and just life in general, trying to be proactive and as opposed to reactive. And uh, so how did you come up with the name? <laughs> the name came from, well, first of all, I came up with a lot of really terrible names that I didn't really like first, long before we got to this one. But I really wanted something that gave people the exact indication of what we do, which part of what we do, a big portion of what we do is we help people take control. And if you look at the root words that career comes from, and you start looking back into the Latin and the, uh, the derivatives from Italian and, and everything else along the way, you start to realize that Carious or career or some of the other versions of it are the same root words as things like carriage, which if you go way back used to mean the 
pathway that was left after a wheel would roll through from a carriage or it there's a lot of other definitions there too but basically it means the length of time the path the journey is essentially what it means so happen to your career literally means take control of your journey which is really what we wanted to allow people to do and help people realize that they had much more influence over their life and their career and what they got the opportunity to do than they realized why do you think some people don't realize that? Well, I think that, you know, without getting all incredibly philosophical on you, I think that it partially comes from some of the expectations that we have in society. Mm-hmm. And if I am at a job and I have a lot of structure around me, let's say that, you know, I worked for corporate America for quite a while and had some wonderful, some amazing jobs. I got the opportunity to work for some pretty, pretty cool companies actually over the course of time. But if I'm in that role, there's a lot of structure, a lot of policy, all kinds of other things, some very definitive, normal ways. And a lot of people don't realize that even in those really structured environments, there are so many opportunities to be able to step outside of what of the norm is and have influence. So I mentioned jokingly the $40,000 increase earlier, but even getting a raise in an off cycle way, that's not something that is norm. And it's something where, you know, if you did that, if you work for an organization and they have very established pathways that that stuff happens, then you have to essentially get an exception made for you. And that is hard to do in a lot of different ways. And anytime we're going off script or going off the beaten path, it's not something that I find is, I find that there's not a lot out there in the world describing how to go off the path. There is a lot out there in the world that we're exposed to for how to stay on the path in one way or another, whatever that path is. Mm -hmm. By definition, it causes us to think that we need to go with the flow. That was a really long-winded way to say that I think everything around us is kind of in some ways pressing in, encouraging us to go with the flow. And taking control often means that you're going against what is already in existence. Because what's good for you may potentially be slightly different than what is normal or what is that normal pathway. You think for people to find like work that they love, most people have to get off that that standard pathway or not? Well, by definition, 87%, depending on which study you look at, it ranges someplace between low 70s to as high as 87% of people are in roles, in jobs that they're not overly satisfied with or excited about. God, so insane. That is crazy. it is insane. It is absolutely oh absurd, especially since that's where we spend most of our waking hours. However, it's not just one study. It is many, many studies. And yes, there's a range, but you know, 70 to nearly 90% of people are misaligned and in roles and in jobs and with companies that they're not excited about. And so, yes, by definition, for you to do work that fits you, that you love, that you really are excited about from day to day, I'm not saying it's perfect and there's unicorns and rainbows and things like that, like everywhere you look, but for you to do those types of things in a way that you feel great about, yeah, you have to get off the you have to get off outside the norm because the norm is that you don't really like your job all that much and you do it because you have to in one way or one level or another. 
that's actually really sad. Like to think, man, I like, I mean, I talk all the time on this show, like about you get like one run at this thing. Like you get one, you get one go and to have, I didn't realize the numbers were that dramatic. Like 80 some percent are unhappy in their current roles. That is just like super sad, actually, like super depressing. It's, it's, It's almost like discouraging, like to think that you get one run at this and to be spending it doing something you don't want to do every day was just dreadful. Well, and I love how you put at it. You get one run at this because that's actually really motivating to me. I think you could hear that and have the opportunity to be like, well, I only get one run at it. That's depressing. But I think the other side of that is I only get one run at that. And I'm going to make it a good one. Hell yeah. That's how I look at it for sure. Like, I don't think, see it as, I just had Todd Henry on the podcast. Have you ever read any of his stuff? He's Accidental Creative, and he wrote a book called uh, Die Empty. It's excellent. I feel like I have uh, read the book because I've had a lot of it. A lot of my friends have quoted it to me. So I feel like it's going to be an amazing book, but I've not read it yet. He's super inspirational. He's an awesome guy. I think he's like a New York Times bestseller. He's incredible. But uh, yeah, he talks a lot about that. And uh, definitely from like a not a morbid standpoint, like very positive, like this is your chance. Like, you know, it's I think I reflect all the time on that. Like, I'm going to die. This is going to end you know, and like in the grand scheme of things. So I just turned 40. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How old are you? I should know that. Um, <laughs> <classic>. I am <laughs> 30. I just turned 37. Okay. Okay. I've even gone on and I feel bad now that I say I've gone on because I can't remember what it is. But, you know, I like to go on and uh, even put my age in and predict like my day of death. You know, you can do that like you're yeah, like that. Yes. I actually find joy in that because I'm like, oh, my God, the mass says I've got 41 more years. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's back into how that? this is going to be maximized. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm totally into it. I think it's uh, I know that sounds morbid, but I absolutely I'm like obsessed with thinking about it. And and if I'm on the fence, a lot of times, like, you know, like if, you know, Rachel, my wife wants to take a vacation and I'm being a butt face, I'm like, yeah, I should probably keep working. I'm like, she's like, we live one time. Let's go. You know, it's like, it makes a lot of decisions very easy. I like Uh, Rachel already. Yeah. 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 Everybody likes Rachel. She's been on the podcast. She's much more popular than I am. She's been on, (laughs) she's been on one time and gets mentioned every show and everybody loves her. Everybody's lukewarm about me and loves Rachel. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, from your perspective, I think that is still a good place to be as it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I think I'm like the luckiest human ever, but it's funny. We're going so deep because I think I heard you say on one of your podcasts recently that you hate small talk. Did, did, Did I hear that? Did you say that? Like you hate, is that the right term? Small talk, like chit chat. I don't know what it, it was in, I think your most recent episode. Yeah. I said something similar to that many times over. Part of that is my strengths. I mean, I like to go very deep, very quickly. You can't believe the number of times in my life. I lost count many, many, many years ago where I have heard from people out of going deep again, like I've never told that to anybody else, but I find that For me, part of my, I've only got so many years on the planet, part of what that means for me is I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the weather and other things that I feel like I have no influence over. I will do that to make other people more comfortable, 
but that's not something I get a lot of joy out of. Yeah. yeah um, it's not sure. the way I like to connect most with other human beings on the planet. I like to talk about the things that are far, far deeper because I, uh, well, on one side, let's be honest, I enjoy like being that person where people can tell me things that they haven't told anybody else. That is something that is actually validating for me as a human being. But the other side of that is I find that I add so much more value at a deeper level to other people. And when those two things are combined together is when I feel the most alive. So mm-hmm. that's cool. So yes. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that you're able to verbalize that so well. Let me ask you this. So, and maybe this is a little repetitive. Maybe it's not. Go for it. What advice would you give to someone who's looking for more like meaning in their work? I feel like people use the word meaning a lot when I'm talking to them about their work and they kind of feel like there's a lack of purpose or meaning to their work. Any suggestions there? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a huge amount of suggestions, way more than we have time for. So let me concentrate it into what's probably going to be most valuable for folks out there that might feel feel like they are lacking meaning in one way or another. Uh, Because usually if you're looking for more meaning, that's an indicator that you were missing something or misaligned. That's that's what we found from doing the type of work that we have with thousands of people trying to help them find much more fulfillment, much more meaning and all the things that have a tendency to go along with it. One thing that I've learned is that meaning is different for different people. That is that is something that is overlooked a lot of the time. So I think you have to start there, which means that you have to define. There are some things that are um, that are common for all human beings, like we all need to be helping people in some level or another. And if we don't directly see how we're helping people in a way that we can connect back to helping people uh, in a way that we feel good about, then we're not going to feel like we help people. Because honestly, if you look at every single job on the planet, it's helping people in some way or another, right? I... Um, you know, if I'm taking, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if I'm taking out trash or something like that, like most people would not consider that an overly desirable job. If the person extremely helpful, it's extremely (laughs) helpful. Like you're helping a lot of of the most helpful jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so too. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I literally just had a conversation. I have a really good friend that owns a, um, trash company. He doesn't call it that, but that's what it is. And, uh, it's an amazing service for the community. I mean, it's he's yes. totally serving the community at like a really high level. You know, I think he probably struggles a little bit with that. Like, I mean, he shared that. But uh, I'm like, dude, I mean, it's an extremely, I mean, I, I mean, it's a, that's a pretty high calling actually to pick up the trash in your community, you know, for like five decades, which is what their family has done, which is incredible. Yeah. And that's such a great example too, because your friend... If he directly sees and connects and feels attached to um, the how he's helping people in that in that particular way, then it is going to feel much more meaningful and therefore often much more fulfilling. However, if he does not, or there is a disconnect there, or there are what a lot of people will miss, or there are other areas that feel more meaningful than that, then that might feel like something is missing. So there's really two sides to this. One, there are elements that every single one of us needs as a human being. One example is like we just addressed, we all need to feel like we're helping others at some level, but we also all have to define 
what meaning is and what is more meaningful too. And here's, here's some other examples of that too. We were, we were helping a woman named Laura. And in Laura's case, she was working in a role that she had been with the same company for about eight years or so, progressed up through the ranks pretty rapidly. And at first, she was getting tons of, of growth and having all the good feelings, all the good juju and all the good things that were very meaningful for her. And then eight years later, she found herself promoted four times, making a ton of money and in what most people would consider like a really desirable place. But now that she had kept saying yes to what was right in front of her and all all those different promotions, she found herself in a place where she had gotten farther and farther away from what was really meaningful to her. So we started working with her. And these are questions that you can ask yourself too, to help you find what creates more meaning for you. But we started trying to identify what are the contexts that feel more meaningful, more exciting, more valuable to you. And some of those might be, hey, do I enjoy most working with groups of people? And at what scope or what level? Is that in a leadership capacity? Is that you know, at you know, states, nations, community level? Or is that you know, one-on-one? And going through and identifying all of these different pieces and context in where you find the most joy and the most meaning and where you have found that in the past, that can give you clues as to what you need to look for and carry with you into the future. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's really, really insightful. Let me ask you this. So this is a long, terrible question, but I don't know how I'll <laughs> word it. And Those I'm are my actually, favorite. I'm dying to ask it. So I'm really interested in this. So how often when someone is thinking in their head that they want to make a career change or a job change to a different company. And, you know, you hear somebody say like, I'm not happy in my current job. And they're struggling with that, like internally. Do you feel like that is typically like an internal problem with the person? Or is it as they're perceiving it, like an they think it's an external problem with their job, like their job is not making them happy. But then a lot of times they'll like make a job change to a different job. And then the cycle just starts back over like temporarily. It uh, maybe solved their happiness issue for like a month or two. And then they're right back where they were after making that job change. Does that make any sense? Do you see that? Often? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. You sound as though you may have either had that happen or know somebody who has had that, had that happen. Because I think that that cycle does repeat itself a lot. And only after, sometimes, only after uh, somebody has done that two or three times do they start recognizing that maybe they need to do something different. So the way that we think about that, to try and tackle your question head on, is we divide those into two different categories. Okay. Because we call them inward happiness focus areas. Okay. Or outward, what we call happiness enablers. And the inward pieces, think about those almost as like building a muscle and getting better at feeling more happy more often. There's a lot of great studies out there about this, like uh, one that gets tossed around all the time, but I love, so I keep using it. The scientists took quite a few different monks that had practiced meditation for many years and looked at them and their brain scans over a long period of time and essentially found that you can grow your prefrontal cortex, which is one of the areas that's most responsible for feeling happy at any given moment. You can actually grow that with practice, just like you might develop a muscle in any other area of your body. So you can actually intentionally become able to feel happiness 
more at any given time period or moment or anything else along those lines. So there's I think that. That's side. like a hundred thousand percent true. Like no doubt about it. Like that just makes sense to me. Like no doubt about it. Like just from like your friends, like you have friends. I shouldn't even use friends. Like when yeah. you worked, you had colleagues that like some just decided to be happy. Like they were just, they decided at some point, like they're going to like be a happy person. You know what I'm saying? Like some people yeah. aren't that happy. Like they decided not to be that happy or, you know, it's very interesting. So that's one side of it. There's really two halves to this equation. The other thing that you can do is set up your outward world so that you are more likely to experience and you know touch, feel, interact with those things that are giving you more meaning, more enjoyment, cater to working with your strengths and all of the other areas that impact your happiness. Yeah. By the way, really, really quick sub note. Um, yeah. I love Gallup has done some really amazing research over the years on strengths and how it impacts happiness, productivity, you name it, a whole bunch of other things too. So as little as one to two hours more a day working in the areas of strengths or particularly what we call signature strengths, and I can tell you what that means here in a moment, as little as one to two hours a day more actually drastically impacts your feelings of being happy at any given moment too. So there really is two halves to this side. There's setting up your outward world in a way that allows you to feel more happy more mm-hmm. often and then getting sense. better at being happy, which is the internal side. So I think that that's, those two sides are what you were asking about. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. What's a signature strength? Signature strength, well, we've got a really long nerdy definition, but uh, the easiest way to think about signature strengths is almost imagine a Venn diagram with three circles. And in one circle, you've got those things that you're great at or have the potential to be great at. And I'm not talking about like being great at pivot tables or something along those lines or being great at Excel, but I'm talking about what's underneath the surface that causes you to be able to do pivot tables better. That's what I'm talking about um, in terms of that. So those areas that you're great at or potential to be great at. And then in another circle, we've got those areas that you get more joy from and feel better about. Sometimes people wouldn't describe it as joy. Sometimes they'd describe it on in other words. And then in another circle, you've got those areas that you have the highest ability to add value to the world. Oh, that one can yeah, get very convoluted. So where you've got those intersection of all three are a great way to think about your signature strengths. Okay. And you said what brings you joy, what you're great at, and what else? What brings you joy, what you're great at, and then what you can add the most value to the world. If you're great at something, does that have a better chance of bringing you joy in doing activity? <laughs> I love how you ask that question. Nobody else has ever, ever asked me that question. I've done several hundred interviews at this point, and that is the first time. So kudos to you for asking <laughs> that question. I love that question. So the data would indicate yes, because those areas that you are better at have a tendency to be associated with those feelings of joy versus if you are terrible at something in one way or another, it's, it falls outside of your strengths. Think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Then you can still enjoy it, mm-hmm. but may, may not get the same level of joy if we're really getting detailed here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the most useful lenses that I found to look at that question through. That's such a great question. That's super helpful. That's really helpful. So 
I'm going to put you totally on the spot. Please uh, do. In, in doing some research, you know, I to prep for the interview, I looked at your website, listened to, you know, five or ten year podcasts, looked at your LinkedIn, and you wrote something on LinkedIn that I just love, but it's like three years old. If I ask you a question on it, is there yeah. any way you'll recall it at all? I have no idea, but you should ask. <laughs> okay. So it's you wrote an article about how incredible the impact of incremental change can have in your life by just making like very small changes. Why do you think most people are so reluctant to make small changes, even though we know that they can have, you know, a dramatic um, effect on the back end? There's several different reasons that we've found both in the research that I've uh observed and read and paid attention to over the years. And then what we've seen in practical application in our in our business, because really what we do is we help people make pretty drastic changes in a lot of different ways in their lives and do things that you know most people might consider to be impossible. And a lot of that is you know, spread over many months. These are not like small one to two today changes or anything along those lines. We're often helping them change careers or making a massive pivot or identify what they need and means most to them in their lives and then helping them go and do that after they've identified that thing. So we subscribe to what if you've ever heard of Dave Ramsey, he calls the the crock pot method, the spread over time versus the microwave method. And when you're thinking about incremental change, The challenge there is the way that we're wired as human beings, we have a tendency to not want to take small steps of any kind whatsoever if we can't see how they directly add up to the whole. So if we are looking at a, I don't know, if we're looking at a map from how to get from point A to point Z, if we can't see the B, C, D, E, F, G, and whatever other letters are in the alphabet all the way to Z, our tendency as human beings is to not want to take those steps forward. Only if we, one, have hope that our efforts are going to pay off, or we can see and experience the small momentum that we're getting along the way and get some benefit from that too, do we fall over into the other realm of taking those small incremental changes? If those things aren't there, plus a few other key ingredients, then we are just a lot less likely to be able to make that happen. That's interesting. There's a great quote, and I can't remember who said it, and I have it, but I don't have it written who said it. It says, uh, it takes practice for humans to hold two opposing perspectives at the same time, such as the overwhelming tension between a big vision and small steps. How good is that? One of the most helpful resources that we have here at HTYC is our eight-day figure-it-out mini-course. With that, you'll get an email every day for eight days helping you to figure out your strengths, what it is that you really want, and then start you on a path to figure out how you can fit that into your life and career. To be able to get that, you can go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. Now, in the next episode, we're going to share an episode all about overthinking and specifically how not to overthink. If we want to get to a different result, we have to have a different behavior, which means that we have to have a different mindset. And we can never make good decisions when we're in a negative emotional state. So that's just a sample of what's to come next week when you're actually going to be able to hear from Philip Mienko and Sharissa Sebastian. 
Now, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss it. You definitely don't want to do that. You can be able to go into the next year armed and prepared for whatever's coming up next in your career and your life. <laughs>